Welcome to Ink and Pete, where memoir and Ireland share the stage. We talk with authors, guides, ghostwriters, and other free spirits drawn to memoir or enchanted by Ireland. I'm Barb Robitaille. And I'm Craig Stewart. I wanted to speak to that target generation that is coming of age, that's stuck sometimes, that doesn't know what they're doing, if they're going down the right path. And this story, my story, is a story of redemption. It's a story of transformation. Carmen Kissel Verrier grew up on a ranch in Alberta, tagged by her schoolmates, the Butcher Shop Girl. In her captivating memoir, Carmen talks about ranch life, working in her mom's slaughterhouse, and striking out on her own to follow the allure of big money first in the oil fields, and then as an exotic entertainer. In Ink and Pete, episode 22, Carmen shares how writing her memoir helped her heal, revealing secrets she's kept for decades. She offers her life story as an example of possibility to those who struggle with fitting in, or who could use encouragement in embracing their maverick selves. The Butcher Shop Girl is a prime example of why I like memoir as a genre. Carmen selects events in her life to write about and shares things that were difficult probably to share. She felt very vulnerable. But reading her story has just brought so many things up for me about courage and being present and accepting choices that we've made that maybe weren't in our best interest. Maybe they were. Who's to judge? It took a lot of courage and a lot of reflection and insight to do this. It did, unquestionably. She mentions about the healing that was her personal experience from writing this this memoir. And the timing for that was interesting to me. This is 20 years later, and she's had a lot of time to create a life, a family, and moving forward in her life. But still there was that time that sort of probably just kept her somewhat still hidden, even from herself a little bit. And that the process of writing this story about this time in her life set her free in a way. And to be able to go forward on the page, sentence by sentence, saying, is this really true? And having the courage to write what's true is such a level of vulnerability and takes so much courage that it gives us that permission to look at our own life with that same lens of truth. Witnessing her redemption through this process gives us that encouragement that that could be true for us as well as we look at our tender places. Absolutely. Yeah, that's why I'm drawn to memoir, for that very reason. Whether it's about overcoming whatever... I would have to say, I don't know too many people who have Carmen's story. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. It's quite a story. It is, too. And so it makes for good reading. Yeah. And at the same time, we may not all have all been exotic entertainers, but we all have something on our shelf from our life that we might have been shying away from completely owning or afraid that someone's going to find out or judge us. And so by coming through and 
writing it down, it's it's like no one can argue with your truth. And there it is for all the world to see. And then, of course, the gift that she talks about is her own healing, but also hearing from so many other people that benefited from reading her story and how it's affected their lives today. Yeah. How, do, how does it get any better? How does it get any better? I know. Win, win, win. Each time I listen to the interview or go back to her book, I get something new out of listening to Carmen. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to hearing it again and over a cup of tea. Well, if we're going to do that, it's time to put the kettle on and have a listen to Carmen Kissel Verrier. Hello, Carmen. Welcome to Ink and Pete. What a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Craig. The title of your book, The Butcher Shop Girl, is so compelling. Can you give us a little background without giving away too much of the book? Give us a background where that title came from. Well, my mother owned a butcher shop in Prairie, Alberta, northern Alberta. And it was just a a really big part of our family. Um, Both sides of my family are agriculturalists. Uh, whether they're beef producers or uh, have auction houses or this butcher shop. So uh, growing up in agriculture was just my way of life. And it was a bit of a nickname that was given to me by my school friends when I was a young girl. I didn't appreciate it at the time because we were doing commercial tours when I think we were in grade five, if I remember right, where our teacher kind of set up tours with our classroom to local businesses for us to try to learn a little bit more about business and some of the business families in our community. And I was so excited for them to come see my mom's business was chosen as one of these businesses to tour. And I would tell my friends about my life in the butcher shop. And, you know, it was all hands on deck in my family. It wasn't, uh, you had the option to go to work. (laughs) Nobody asked. It was like, you get in there, you roll up your sleeves and you get going. So it was just our way of life and I couldn't wait to show my my little school friends this and when they saw it they saw the sides of beef hanging they saw they heard the high-pitched screams coming from the bone saws to cut down these sides of beef into saleable pieces they were just abhorred so afterwards I you know became quite a social pariah at school and that was my secret nickname was the dirty butcher shop girl so no I didn't appreciate it um too much when I was little and I spent a lot of time living in a bit of shame and embarrassment because of that it was the first time I, re- I think I really encountered childhood bullying. Now you mentioned on the cover of the book but also uh, you just alluded to it about being a misfit feeling like a misfit how did that contribute to your decision to become a dancer? Yes Misfits and Mavericks uh, so yeah the title is The Butcher Shop Girl a memoir for misfits and mavericks and I very much identify with misfits and mavericks people who don't take any guff from anyone trailblazers and wild childs I never felt like I fit in as a regular girl with with other regular girls um, I looked I was very androgynous growing up on the farm my family didn't care to entertain gender assigned roles it was if you were a, a girl you were more than welcome to leave the kitchen and go help out with the cattle or in the fields. So I just kind of never really identified very much as a girl. I even looked like a boy until I was about 12 years old. So I was very awkward, like awkward. So 
uh, yes, my whole entire life, I felt like I had a really difficult time fitting in uh, on top of the physical appearances that I was sporting, not knowing how to fix yourself up when you're a young girl. I also, you know, I'm a child of divorce as well. My parents divorced when I was six and we have a fairly French Catholic town here. And that as well was another layer of disassociation between me and normal families, for example. So another element that made it difficult for me to identify as a, I guess, just a normal kind of girl. So then fast forward a little bit later on in my life, I take the reader on quite a few journeys. We open up on this big daring escape scene from Bolivia where I needed to get the help of the U.S. Embassy to leave the country and my family's help because I was an exotic entertainer who was keeping it secret from everyone I knew. And I just... You'll have to excuse me. I have a baby cockatiel and they don't know anything about birds. And he's so needy and adorable. Uh-huh. So you might hear him squawking in the background. And I, I can't do anything about it. Oh, it's a nice touch. Nice touch. Golly. So anyways, yeah, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a wild child, uh, nonconformist, very much an anarchist. And I don't really identify with normies, I call them in the book. And I work in the oil field. I have a really great job there and the price of oil fluctuates frequently. And I was working for a junior producer who wasn't a global producer. And I lost my job when the price of oil fluctuated so low. Many of us were marched into our foreman's office and gave you know, our pink slips. And at that time, there was one place in our town called uh, the Four Camp Bar that we had exotic entertainment live there. And at this time, I'm just newly 18. I have no job. I am no self-respecting woman in our community who will work as a waitress at this facility. So they had a hard time getting waitresses. And my best friend was working there. And she said, you know, Carmen, we can't find anybody to come work with us. Could you please come and help me? Like, I'm the only waitress there. And I thought, well, you know, I'm not afraid of those types of themes. I'm not afraid to be in that type of action. I'm always a little bit afraid of what my family's going to say because I've given them enough hell over the years as a wild child. But I did it anyway and had a great time making money as a waitress and still not quite making ends meet with my bills because now I have, you know, an apartment and vehicle payments and yeah, one day this this really gorgeous dancer came in and she said, hey, you know, after hearing my story of being a waitress falling on hard times because I lost my oil field job, she says, well, you're really beautiful and you just told me that you spent 12 years as a classically trained ballerina. You know, you, you're more than qualified to do something like this. And I thought, oh my goodness, I could never, like my family would hang me out to dry. I'm sure of it. I've given them enough grief over the years. And she said, well, you know, if you ever change your mind, here's my card. And then little did I know that that one phone call would change the rest of my life. Now, you mention in the book that many women who've gone into the trade are numbing themselves often just to get through the night or, or that's the lifestyle they've chosen. Whereas it seems like in your situation, you made a very deliberate approach to this is how I'm going to do this. And you came in, it seems to me, rather than from like possibly the most vulnerable position any woman could ever have, you came into it like from a position of strength and from a position of, I'm going to make money doing this. Is that accurate? Well, yes, absolutely. It was all about the dollars. So um, being born and raised in capitalism, all everyone in my family is an entrepreneur. Running your own business is second nature to me. 
And it was very much, my goals were mercenary, absolutely capitalistically based. I wanted to see how much money I could make in the short amount of time as possible so that I could just maybe use all of that money to fuel the next part of my life. It's a coming of age memoir as well. It ends when I'm 21 and I start that new life. So readers, unfortunately, don't get to see what happens when I did leave that world. And, you know, I, I came, I saw, I met completely peculiar people, other misfits and mavericks that I identified with that ended up being like my guides on this journey, navigating this strange new world, including some really tough girls that were affiliated with the Hells Angels who became like my big sisters. It was a bit adventure as well. So it was all about shoring up capital and all about adventures as any other, you know, 17 to 21 year old would be seeking at that time. So I would say it wasn't all just about the money, maybe a little bit of adventure too. And boy, did I ever find a lot of that in the most <laughs> unlikely places with the most unlikely people. Yeah, it took me, you know, 20 years to even talk about this story because I did harbor so much shame and regret for that period of life that I, my coming of age, and I didn't want anybody to know about it. I didn't want to talk about it. And I would bottle up all these stories that the reader is going to read with a lot of goading from my family and my close friends to say, you know, you have a great story to tell. We love it when you rarely open up and talk about it. And you are a writer that you're a professional writer. That's your daytime job. Why wouldn't you ever consider writing about it? And I thought, gosh, you know, that was 10 years ago, they'd bring this up. And I thought, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready to be so open and honest. As you know, Craig, you spend a lot of time uh, dissecting memoir and the wonderful genre that it is. There's two things you need to have a successful memoir. One, it has to be compelling. You can't have a boring book. It has to be an interesting story. The second is that it needs to be true. You need to be real. You need to go there with your real, and you need to be able to lay it all out on the, the table for readers as well. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I like that. I feel like I'm in a jungle or something. Okay, there. He just, he really just needs to be. Oh, he's beautiful. Look at those colors. Oh, and he's, yeah, he's. Wow. Hi, buddy. Yeah, his name is Ace, and he's molting. Ace. Getting his, uh. Uh, yeah, I call him Flying Ace. So I have Flying anyway, Ace. About that. Hopefully he's a little bit quieter now. Oh, well, I, I actually quite like it. I love birds. So many of our listeners are memoir writers and, and appreciate memoir very, very much. You carried this story for two decades. It sounds like you felt like you were carrying a load that you just simply were uncomfortable with, to say the least. How did it feel to begin writing? And how did it feel to revisit that period of your life? Well, so many emotions. It feels like all of the feels on the spectrum. I can honestly say that I thought I was fully healed and I had fully processed this journey when I put pen to paper. It took me three years to compose this memoir and uh, being a professional writer and having a branding, a boutique branding agency, it was kind of something that I disciplined myself to do at least 10 10 minutes to an hour or two hours per day. And it still took me three years. And the reason why is because sometimes you're feeling it as a writer and sometimes you have nothing. Sometimes you just look at a blank piece of paper on your screen or in your hand for, you know, that 10 minutes and you resolve to just try again the next day. And it's that discipline that got me through to create a full manuscript. But halfway through the manuscript, I kind of started to panic, like, wait a second, 
if this gets published and a publishing house picks this up, it turns from dabbling to reality. So I had to really prepare myself for the fact that, you know, you feel, I'm sure any author would say this, you feel like, what if nobody likes my work? What if it's a boring book? What if only I think it's a fascinating story? What if nobody identifies with it? What if nobody finds value with it? So I find we can be our own biggest critics. And I went through a lot of that as well. But then I fielded a few pages here and there to some English teachers in my family whom I completely respect and honor what they would have to give for feedback. And when they started to get very excited by the few pages that I would share with them about this story, it did, it gave me a little bit more confidence to keep going. Then I got it all done and it was literally just, uh, I think about three weeks before uh, Freeze and Press picked it up. Then it was go time. Now it's time to start working on the rounds of editing and proofing that come with the publishing process. The art for the book covers, um, author photo shoots, all those kinds of things. And it became very, very real. So I kind of had to get over any last little bits of terror that I had about being so honest with my story. And I'm so happy I did because we were published on November 4th. And it is the end of February right now. And I cannot believe how many people have reached out to me to tell me, thank you for providing something original and refreshing and your story. And the, the strangers or, or the people that you do know, you know, that maybe I mentioned in the book that I haven't seen since high school, for example, you know, what a wonderful way to connect again. So I'm really, that's worth it. So if anybody's hesitant about telling maybe their risque story, I say go for it. Just find that courage, get your story out, start that proofing process and run with it. And you'll be surprised how many people will appreciate that you did that. Very healing. I can see, I can tell, I mean, having read the book, I would encourage people, anyone, I would encourage to read this book. Where do you get your courage? Where does that come from? Well, I think I've always been a little bit of a, you know, nonconformist. So part of me spent... 20 years of my life rejecting the fact trying so desperately hard to fit in and the last 10-15 years I've totally embraced it I've realized that my unique value proposition or my UVP comes from just being me so that's what we hear all the time it's it's a giant cliche but man is it ever true (laughs) just be you everybody else is taken I think there's hundreds of cliches about originality and individuality and they're all awesome so whichever one you identify with run with it because it couldn't be any more true so this process really I guess just solidified that for me and now I just I've been sharing this George Martin quote that once you accept your flaws no one can use them against you Mm -hmm. and that is really the powerpoint that's the crux of it all once you can truly and honestly do that with yourself you'll feel unstoppable Mm -hmm. you'll feel like yep you know um, my shame my regret my triumphs and tribulations are completely laid out in a book that you could read about so once you it's a different kind of naked different kind uh, of naked. exactly no it's a different <laughs> vulnerability and i'm yes. curious to know is there a comparison can you make a comparison between bearing all and bearing all on the page yes uh definitely i would say like you identified it's a different kind of vulnerability this one was harder. This one's a lot harder because I don't have the sheen of youth to hide behind. So as a coming-of-age memoirist, this is a coming-of-age story, I wanted to speak to that target generation 
that is coming of age, that's stuck sometimes, that doesn't know what they're doing, if they're going down the right path. And this story, my story, is a story of redemption. It's a story of grabbing control of your narrative. It's a, it's a story of transformation. And if I can do that under these circumstances that you'll read about, oh golly, anybody can then. So that's something that I really appreciate is when I can speak to the vulnerability of, of people who are coming of age themselves and feeling completely lost. You can pick up my book and you will feel instantly so much better about yourself and that there are so many brighter tomorrows awaiting for you. Oh, well said. I like that. So I don't think our listeners, uh, I don't think we have many teenage listeners, but I think we have grandchildren out there of our listeners who someone will hand this book to their grandchild. Bridge their, their age gap for sure. You know, I, I guess my, my parents were farmer, not really hippies, but just salt of the earth people who were unconcerned with what's happening in breaking news or celebrity land. So we, you know, critical thinking, survivalism was, was very important to us. Yeah. And that definitely comes through in the book, The Butcher Shop Girl. Remarkable story. The benefits you've gained from telling your story have been immense. Yes, absolutely. I'm habitually surprised at who's reaching out to me, who has what to say, what resonate, what element of my book resonated with them, because there's so many different themes. You know, we've got, you know, cartel families, uh, escapes from Bolivia. We've got growing up in Prairie, Alberta, painting a picture of what the beautiful prairie upbringing is like. We've got 4-H. We've got oil field activity. I introduce readers to what uh, steam-assisted gravity drainage is. Uh, <laughs> thermal oil harvest and yeah. you know it's, it's something as well that's very unique to our part of the world then you know we hit the a hell's angels clubhouse and i kind of peel back the curtain a little bit there so that people can see things that you would never get a chance to see doing that in a way that is tasteful and tactful was very important to me because i do regard myself as a very elegant person or you know i try to live gracefully i try to you know, I, I don't swear a lot and I really have a, a deep core value system that I would regard as a traditionalist, but yet while still maintaining that uh, love for critical thought and anti-establishment. So it's a, my book is a paradox of me to you. So <laughs> a parallel of, of who I am as well. And uh, the people who know me say, gosh, I read, I can hear your voice when I'm reading this book. And people who I don't know say, I really feel like I know you. So I think that's a successful writing technique. And, uh, you know, I studied writing techniques as I was composing this memoir because I've read a lot of boring memoirs. And that was my number one scary thing was they, these people had a great story, but they failed on delivery, maybe on the technicality of writing and composing. So that was really important to me to spend a lot of time there. And I would encourage anybody to just study, study writing, do a lot of reading. I mean, that's not original, but in order to become... A strong writer you have to write every day and you have to do a lot of reading of everything so the more that you can broaden your uh, reading list the, the more vocabulary you're exposed to the more structure that you'll pick out as you're studying and you can kind of replicate some of that yourself so a big tip that I would share because of, of who you are somebody who dives into memoir is for me I took one of the most exciting scenes of my book which was escaping Bolivia and using the United States Embassy to help me. And I moved that right to the front as a big hook because I kind of thought that's so outlandish and so wild, a reader is going to be left feeling like, how did this happen? How did this girl get here? How did any of the, what? 
<laughs> so then I bring them in chapter two, I bring them right back to the beginning. So with a memoir, you know, as we know, it's a snapshot in a person's life. It's not a start to finish like an autobiography or a biography. So I kind of thought, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to play with arrangement. I'm going to move some of the most uh, climactic moments into the front and then bring them back to the beginning and build up again to another climax that ends so composition, I'm a composition nerd. I love it when somebody does it well, and I'm just so thrilled that people are enjoying my composition. What have you learned about your own writing abilities or, or skills? What have you learned about Carmen the writer? Because you are a writer. I mean, that's what you do. Yes, I'm, yeah, well, I'm a technical, technical writer by trade. Um, so I do a lot of, you know, boring document preparation kind of stuff. Uh, I find it fascinating, but most people, technical writers in a room full of writers you've got copywriters they're like fixing you a cocktail when you get to the party and and technical writers are sitting in the back just nerding out <laughs> nobody's paying attention to them so and then you've got the creative writers and you know so it's a different type of genre altogether I had a lot of fun with uh, creative nonfiction that's based on truth for me I, I don't have any other tips except for play with composition study it what, what's the flow of your book going to be like and then just Really, don't be afraid to get real. That's the most important part. You have to, if, you, if you're not real, the reader is going to sense that. Or they're going to sense that you're holding back on something, and you're going to drop them, you're going to lose them. And you can't do that. So I learned to make that commitment and honor it every time I sat down to compose even a sentence with this story. Nice. That's a great tip. Got to keep it real. Yeah, and that's hard to do, right? So just find a way to tap into your vulnerability and just know that the grand prize at the end is connection, connection with the reader, connection with people like you and your guys' wonderful initiative. That's so rewarding when you're a writer. If, if I never made a dime off of this book, which is fast-tracking to be a Western Canadian bestseller right now, I'm really thrilled about that. I mean, that's not anything I sought out to do. I just wanted to connect with people. So I'm doing that plus so much more. <laughs> what did you need in place to transition out of exotic dancing into your next step? Because I, my goals were mercenary, I really wanted to shore up as much capital as I possibly could. I did not even close to expect to make the amount of money that I did or have these types of adventures along the way. However, you know, it's tiresome. It's a very fast-paced life. It, it definitely belongs to the youth, that type of lifestyle. I could, I, just thinking about it now, the pace, the in and out of airports, the amount of shows, uh, highly produced shows that we were doing every day. I, in my 40s, my young 40s, I couldn't even imagine. I don't even close to have that kind of energy. So I think these types of careers, if you will, or life paths or ways to make money do belong to the youth. So for me, I knew that it was fleeting. I knew that it, it had an expiry date that was fast approaching because I, many of my friends in that world were approaching 30. And it's a hard life depending on how you, you keep yourself in it. So like you had mentioned, many of them, and I speak about this in the book, that many of them are addicted to prescription medications, illegal drugs, anything that they need to do to cope with what they're doing. For me, being a butcher shop kid, uh, being a farm kid, anatomy and physiology were just normal. They, they weren't anything we looked at with shame or regret. Not to say that I didn't have any by being an exotic entertainer, but it just wasn't, I found I could do it sober. I could do it sober, no problem. And I, I could see all around me what would happen if I didn't maintain my sobriety or level of sobriety. I wasn't completely sober, but I, I just never fell down the rabbit hole of um, addictive drug abuse. 
because many of my friends had, and I could see up close what that was doing to them and how that was probably going to change the rest of their lives. And some of them, you know, I lost them. I lost them forever. And some of them, it was by choice because you can't be friends with the Hells Angels forever if you want to have a normal life again. If you want to get married and you want to have a nice family, that's probably not the best way to go about it. So I knew I had to chop it off somewhere. I knew I wanted to go back to school and feed my brain and uh, get a degree and just move on in a, in a more normal type of fashion. I always dreamed of being a normal person, but I wanted to fund it and I wanted to find myself and I wanted to be able to have enough money to do that. So when I left the United States, I was working in Texas for the last two years, you know, making all that American money. And at the time, the Canadian currency was about 60 cents on the dollar. So it's just such a boost. But um, you just don't even know those things when you're 19, 20, 21 years old. You, you don't see it that way. That's so adult. And you're not living in an adult mind frame. You're just living in the moment. So like children do, they tend to, we can learn a lot from them about living in the moment. As, as we get older, we start looking more and more into the future based on our responsibilities. And, you know, you become a parent. My husband and I have started a few oil field businesses, and that's very, very in the future living. We rarely live in the moment these days. So I'm happy that this time happened in my life because there's no way that I would ever do something like that now. But I'm so happy it happened. Don't be sad that it's over. Be happy that it happened. That it happened. Yeah, good for you. Good for you. Yeah. Well, it's kind of a neat thing to talk about now because I've got that buffer of a couple of decades and some maturity and uh, some processing and healing to you know, stick in front of me like a shield as I go through this process. Well, sure. But also, again, that is one huge value of memoir is examining your life, taking taking the good, accepting the bad, and moving on. That's That's what it's all about. Like you say, being honest, having a story to tell. Everything in our lives isn't necessarily worth telling, right? Like, not everything in our lives is interesting. But when you've got an interesting story, how did you deal with that? That's the question. And you've yeah. dealt with your story just brilliantly, Carmen. I'm just so delighted that you've come across our lives and that we've had this book to pass on to people. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you too. I mean, gosh, nobody is keeping memoir alive like you guys. <laughs> we've got two questions that we ask. Okay. One is what are you reading right now? Or what can you recommend for someone to read? Yes, I am loving Priyanka Chopra Jonas, her new book called Unfinished. So she's got an amazing story about her childhood and, and what's brought her to where she is now as a successful Hollywood actress. I'm in my 40s and she's in her, I think she's early 30s. I don't even know if she's 30 yet. And she's just, just a hot shot. She's a fantastic writer too. And I do believe that she's written it. Like it's not a ghost writer. And it's, I think this is original work. And she just shot up to the top of every bestseller list in North America that you can imagine within, I think, th three weeks of being published. What? And I don't think it's because of her notoriety as a celebrity. I think it's because of her skill as a writer. So I highly recommend everybody go out and get Unfinished okay. after you've read The Butcher Shop. Girl. Of course, I was going to say, let's uh, get the priority <laughs> then, straight here. And then you get that book. So um, I'm just a quarter way through, and I absolutely enjoy it already to the point where I'm like seriously fangirling over oh. her, where I'm like, maybe I should get my publicist to try to get her agent, and maybe I could just you know give her a love note about how much I enjoy her writing. 
and her story. Before I ask you the last question, I would like you to tell our listeners, you've got Friesen Press, you're published with Friesen Press. If you could mention where we could find your book and talk a little bit about Friesen Press as well as your publicist. Yes, absolutely. So Friesen Press, it was important for me to publish my story in Canada, even though my book is kind of almost half and half. Like there's a lot of Americana themes in there as well, because I spent a long time in Texas and in Florida. So being a Canadian girl, you know, I'm pretty patriotic that way. It was important for me to find a Canadian publisher. And I really liked what Friesen Press had to offer. They have so many different publishing paths that there's something for everyone, depending on what your budget is, what your timeline is, um, what you want to tackle yourself as a writer, and what you would prefer somebody you outsource for help. So for me, as a boutique branding agency owner, I took a hold of all of the graphic art, for example, for the book cover, etc. But I needed some serious help with the proofing process. And I found that with Friesen Press, their editors are awesome, absolutely mm -hmm. awesome. And they really do look at different types. Of, you're not going to get the same editor who's a proofreader versus a copy editor. You know, so they really are specialty and they really do focus on different types of editing and you will get that with Reason Press. What else did I really enjoy about them? Their, their service. I just thought that they check in regularly. They keep a project marching down a timeline. So not every, in fact, hardly any writer I know is the, kind of has that entrepreneurial spirit. So I, I kind of came at it from the other side where I knew that developing this book was also developing a brand and my own personal brand. So many writers learn that later, that, oh my goodness, I have to have a social media page, I'm going to have to have a website, you know, all of the marketing and advertising elements that are going to be coming up with your publication process, you need to embrace that, and the sooner that you can do that, the better. So uh, Friesen Press definitely is helpful with that, and, and I just can't stress that enough. Most of my friends that are classic, true writers fall short at that part. They don't know how to market themselves because they've never even thought about it. They just thought, well, you know, I'm just going to throw my book out there. And if it sinks, it sinks. If it swims, it swims. But there's so much you can do to help it along. I do find that, you know, even what you guys do, um, hosting memoir tours as such, that is such an important value to offer to writers who maybe are searching for that time that they need or a place to become inspired or that guidance along the way, seek all of that out if you need it. Because it's beyond, you're going to need more than just being uh, a great writer to get you to the finish line there. Your website is uh, a very good example of everything you just talked about. And I would encourage any writer who's, who's interested in, you know, upping their game in terms of marketing or branding to check out your website. Thank you, thebutchershopgirl.com. I'm very proud of it. I have a, a really great team, in-house team that I work with. That's my staff. And we knew right away that we needed to kind of get them, dazzle them, and then, you know, make sure that we have a really great sales funnel that's able to, it's not cumbersome and nuancing to use. So uh, we have a custom dedication feature there too. But now that the book is published, it's available everywhere. So you can get it amazon.com, amazon.ca, even amazon.uk now, Barnes and Noble, Indigo Chapters. And then if you have a, a pretty good selling book, you can hit up some of the major retail chains and show up right in their stores. So we just got picked up for Indigo chapters alberta large format stores pretty excited about that because they don't really give indie authors too much of a shot like that right oh my congratulations next, yeah yeah thank you my next uh and you know i'm on that memoir shelf which is so great so i'm next to the greats like jeanette walls or tara westover who very much inspired me 
um, especially those two authors. I speak of them often because I just really, really admired their memoir work. It inspired me immensely to get my story out. There are similarities. Uh, both those books are just terrific, uh, educated and Glass Castle. They're just amazing stories. And Butcher Shop Girl, I would say, has a, a similar arc anyway. So, I yeah. think I kind of ripped off a few things that those oh, no, no, did no, well no. as well. <laughs> <laughs> like, I really love their composition style. And I think maybe because, you know, my copies of The Glass Castle and Educated are so paper thin, yeah. worn on margin notes. And I think um, I'm a chameleon and adaptive. So if I spend a lot of time reading uh, certain writers like I, I fell down a hunter s thompson rabbit hole for a few years <laughs> ago and all of a sudden uh, i'm this gosh buckling journalist talk in person right you know like i'll ad adopt their <laughs> their writing voice <laughs> i know yeah oh boy there are writers i wish i could adopt their voices i tell you yeah you know yeah. so i think we kind of all go through that when you really really love the craft you you have your favorites and you just read them over and over and they become a part of you to the point where you're wondering if they're sneaking into your writing style and writing voice yeah. and they totally are boy i hope so i'm, I'm counting on that yeah, yeah. absolutely that's so, yeah. another thing too you have to and another thing too is um obviously you have to develop that thick skin with that constructive feedback but really you're just dealing with a person so that person might not see your vision, might not see how great it's going to be. Um, there is a few editors I've come across myself too that gave me some great advice. However, I thought they were totally bonkers. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think because I know I know what speaks to my target audience, and they were so out of my target audience. So I take a little bit of a Dr. Phil profiling approach, where I'm like, okay, so I get your feedback. And it kind of reminds me of your generation, let's say. But this book is to target a youthful yeah, generation. Yeah. And I know that this is going to speak to them. So, well, thank you for your feedback. You know, you kind of just say thank you. And then, so have confidence too. Have confidence yeah. with your writing style. Anybody needs to have that. If you think it's going to be successful, then you don't let anybody stand in your way there. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. Before we go, before we let you go, thank you so much for spending your morning with us. And... The last question I'd like to ask you is, where have you found joy where you least expected it? Great one. I thought about this. I would say it is after publishing this book, I felt terror. I was <laughs> terror. That's all I felt until people started to reach out to me. People that I never thought would ever pick up my book and read it or people who are so broken or just needed to connect just gave me so much joy to the point where I could choke up thinking about that. That's... That's something that, that was my goal. I just wanted to connect with people and I wanted them to feel so comfortable that they could tell me anything and they're doing that. And I just, that just brings me so, so much joy. Good for you. Well done. Well done. Hats off to you, Carmen. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Ink and Pete, a production of Memoir Tours Ireland. To learn more about Memoir Tours, head to memoirtours.com. Until next time, may you find joy where you least expect it.